daily Tampa Bay Rays podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, my name is Kevin Weiss alongside Ulysses Sembrano, and we're the host of the Locked On Rays podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Thank you for making the Locked On Rays podcast your first listen every day. And remember, the podcast is free and available on all platforms, including YouTube at Locked On Rays. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Locked On Rays. And email us anytime, lockedonrays.gmail.com. Also, if you want to co-host of the pod or simply support what we're doing, visit buymeacoffee.com slash raise unfiltered. That's buymeacoffee.com slash raise unfiltered. We'll be sure to put the link in our podcast description as well. Well, this week we have what I think is a very special set of episodes as we are joined by former big leaguer Cody Decker, who is one of the most insightful, entertaining, and thoughtful athletes you'll ever find. Cody had a cup of coffee in the majors with the San Diego Padres and played over a decade in the minors, hitting 204 career home runs. He's oftentimes been referred to as the real-life Crash Davis. Uh, Today, we will run part one of a four-part interview. Now, if you're like, man, I really want to hear more from Cody Decker. I can't just wait every day the rest of this week. I need to catch the whole thing in its entirety. You can do that. You can do that by checking out our YouTube page, and you can watch myself, Ulysses, and Cody, uh, and that conversation, which runs about an hour and a half. So without further ado, here's Cody Decker. We have a very special guest, and that is Cody Decker, who has done something that I think 99.99% of the populace out there has not done, and that is play professional baseball and get paid for it. Uh, Cody, thank you for joining us today. I appreciate it. No, thank you so much for having me. I'm, uh, it's a dream come true to be on this podcast with both of you two gentlemen. And I'm looking at your both setups, and one of you did do a lovely squaring setup job with some hats and all that. And the other one, kind of just uh, background all over the place, blinds, weird. <laughs> I love this because I did actually take a long time figuring out what I wanted my space to look like so thank you for noticing cody uh that that means so you know what that means because i have the better background kevin uh-huh. that means that i get props on the fir- uh, on the on the first question that y- you do indeed you, you. you can take it away for sure <laughs> so let's start it with my favorite thing i don't know if you can see that but that's the venezuelan uh world baseball classic hat mm-hmm. so that of course will be my first question i love international competitions i i breathe in sweat for them uh as a fan you actually got the opportunity to represent Team Israel uh, a couple of times in your mm-hmm. career. Um, how can we amp up such a fantastic international uh, competition like the World Baseball Classic to even better levels than, than well, the MLB is, is doing right now? Well, you know, I think Major League Baseball has done a very good job with the World Baseball Classic. I think it's got a lot of kinks that still need to be worked out. I mean, keep in mind, they've only done, what, three of them so far? Four of them so far? Something so like that. Oh, yeah. It's yeah, so it's not, exact, 
yeah, it's it's a still relatively new thing, especially if they're treating it like the World Cup and how they've been doing. It's exciting, and honestly, to this day, uh, that last World Baseball Classic is one of the most exciting baseball experiences I've ever not only been a part of as a player, but as a fan watching it. You know, when we got knocked out, watching Adam Jones rob Manny Machado in San Diego is one of the coolest things I've ever seen. Um, it was just that the entire Puerto Rican team was just pure joy to watch. Like every yeah. single game, you were watching something spectacular taking place. Um, I think Major League Baseball, to their credit, has done an incredible job with the World Baseball Classic in that the first uh, go-around didn't really generate – it generated interest, but I wouldn't say it generated a lot of fanfare. The second one, I thought it built a little bit more. Uh, but the one where I was playing for Israel in 2017, man, I played in the Tokyo Dome in front of a sold-out Tokyo Dome against Japan. I have never been in a louder place in my life. It was exciting. It was uh, fun. It, and it was cool. And I, I love international baseball. I think it brings a lot of different players. And here's the thing. It, the, the other things that fans don't realize, just how good baseball is throughout the world. Uh, I think I think we're a little arrogant in our American ways that we think that we just own baseball. Japan is so much better at baseball than us. It's crazy. Uh, Venezuela, like you mentioned, man, Venezuelan baseball is incredible. I played in the Venezuelan Winter League one year. Great baseball down in Mexican leagues. Amazing baseball down in Mexico. It's just a different style of play. So when you get to see the styles of play clashing against each other, it's not necessarily that one's better than the other. It's just when you're an American player and you haven't seen a Japanese pitcher who's messing with your timing – uh, you know, doing a different type of leg kick or a different type of timing mechanism. It's weird and it takes adjusting to. I mean, it's it's it was exceedingly fun. And uh, I hope fans get to enjoy a little bit more of that. You know, how can Major League Baseball capitalize on or improve on it? I'm not sure if they, they can improve on the WBC itself other than just keep engaging fan engagement. And, you know, I think the bigger problems with Major League Baseball aren't so much about that, but more about things like making baseball a little bit more accessible to youth right now. I think mm -hmm. that is the bigger problem for Major League Baseball. But as far as international play, I have always had this like dream that will never, ever happen. And you would dig it and you would dig it. But here's the truth. Most fans and baseball would never do it. Major League Baseball, the World Series, is not the World Series. The World Series is just the winner of the MLB Major League season. And there are a lot of major – there's a lot of professional leagues throughout the world that are playing yes. at the same time and having playoffs taking place at the same time. Japan, Korea, Mexico. Uh, God, who else? Who else is playing at that – well, whatever other summer leagues that are taking place – Take the winner of all those leagues and put them together and give me an international competition, and that should be the World Series. That being said, it's never, ever, ever going to happen, but God, would it be sweet. Oh, my. Yeah, it would be like uh, the Champions League in soccer. You know, you get the, the best. That would be terrific. Would be exactly the Champions League, but for baseball. I oh. mean, it would be the coolest thing in the world. How cool would it be to see the Nippon Ham Fighters taking on the Atlanta Braves on, like, November like third for the actual world Ooh. world world series. Yes, it, 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 that's always actually kind of bothered me. The the the, the moniker that we give American um, sports league championship teams, the world champions moniker. You know, the the Tampa Bay Bucks, the world champions. It's like, well, I don't remember them beating Italy. So you know, like <laughs> that moniker has always has always bothered me.
Well, I think it's more Major League Baseball's, you know, plan of global domination. Uh, and it's not just baseball, NFL as well. You know, we've seen a ton of games being played in London for the last several years. You know for a fact the NFL is coming to London. You know for a fact that they're going to eventually, eventually, hopefully, I think their goal is to create a full division out there in Europe. So I think NFL Europe was, in fact, the first try into getting that going. Now I think the plan eventually is to spread throughout other countries. Major League Baseball is not um, afraid to do that as well. They've already done it into Canada. There's been a lot of talk into Puerto Rico or into Mexico. Um, I think the goal, ultimately, at the end of the day, is to make it a global league. The problem is, for it to become a global league, we're talking 50 to 100 years it's going to take for that to happen. Well, Kevin, it's the holiday season, so I am really excited that I can have something that is amazingly low in calories, sugar, net carbs, and fat, but also high in protein. You get the best of both worlds. And of course, you know I'm talking about the delicious and healthy Built Bars. There are so many flavors you'll have a hard time choosing. Will it be raspberry or mint brownie, cherry or double chocolate, cookies and cream or peanut butter brownie? You know it's peanut butter brownie for me all the time. Built Bar gives you that extra fuel you need to bust down those mall doors. So what do you do if you want a Built Bar, Kevin? You go to Built.com, you choose all of the amazing flavors that they have option for you, and then you use that promo code LOCKED15 to get 15% off your order. So remember, delicious, healthy Built Bars at Built.com. Use promo code LOCKED15 to get some delicious and healthy Built Bars. Cody, you also not too long ago made national headlines for speaking up and speaking out against anti-Semitism within baseball. Uh, why do you think anti-Semitism is so rampant in Major League Baseball and the sport in general? I wouldn't say it's necessarily in, entirely about Major League Baseball. You know, okay. I, th I think uh, Major League Baseball has its issues, but I don't think they're inherently anti-Semitic by any stretch of the imagination. I think it's just there is a... I wouldn't say in just baseball, I'd say in all sports and quite frankly, all throughout the country, uh, there is a severe lack of education when it comes to uh, what be, what a Jewish person even is. Apparently, I, I heard this as recently as two weeks ago, somebody actually accused me of, of running the world, of which I can't even <laughs> handle my finances. Like, what are you talking about? Um, you know, it's just, it's the weirdest thing. So like... It, the issue is more education, in my opinion. I, I'm someone who grew up in Southern California. I grew up in Santa Monica, California. It's a very, you know, vibrant and um, rich uh, community, a very large Jewish community. Um, you know, I went to a school that was very, very, very diverse. I had a must have been 70 percent Mexican, 25 uh, percent white, 25 percent. It was it was it was very, very diverse. And I, this is what I grew up around. And this is what was normal to me. Um, and once I got to professional baseball, I'm like, oh, this is not normal to everyone. You didn't grow up in a, you know, a, a heavy Mexican community where it's very normal. You didn't grow up in a Jewish community where everyone it's just normal. And then, you know, I go play in somewhere like Frisco, Texas um, in double A when I was playing in uh, for San Antonio. And uh, I'm getting, you know, anti-Semitic slurs thrown at me because that day there was an article written about me and Nathan Fryman 
who was also Jewish. We were teammates in AA San Antonio, and they wrote an article saying the greatest power hitting Jewish power hitting duo in major league and baseball history is together in San Antonio. Of which we laughed, and then we started doing some research, and it was true. We were the greatest power hitting Jewish duo in the history of professional baseball. We were the only power hitting Jewish duo in the history of professional baseball. Uh, but it was a very funny article and he and I got a kick out of it. And that night we're playing in Frisco, Texas. And there's just this drunk line of frat boys who really found it interesting that Nate and I were Jewish and just wouldn't let up. And I mean, every slur you can come up with, I almost had to, I almost jumped into the stands, like security had to get involved. Mm. Um, the Frisco Rough Riders, I mean, it wasn't their fault. They eventually that, you know ejected the guys from the stadium, but they were extremely apologetic. And I think at that time, I mean, it's a double A park on a Tuesday night. You know, there's only a few thousand people there and these row of guys yelling anti-Semitic slurs. I don't think they'd ever dealt with that ever. And I don't think they knew what to do. So they, it lasted a lot longer than I think they intended it for. Yeah. But they eventually got them out of there. But it's just one of those things like, man, what are you going to do? How do these people not understand that there is quite literally no difference between us, but I, you know, because my mom's maiden name is Cohen, um, mm. that's a problem, and it, it's yeah. it's very strange to me. I think um, the other things that are strange in baseball, you know, if you've you've heard of Sunday Chapel, Major League Baseball provides Sunday Chapel. I think it's a very good thing to provide. I have yet to see a, a Saturday Temple or synagogue ever even mentioned. Um, you know, but then again, there aren't a whole lot of Jewish players in, in baseball. It is a very, mm. um, you know. I don't say unfortunately, it's not unfortunate. It's just, it's a very Christian sport. It, um, there's a lot of Christians in the game and that's not anything for better or worse. It's just kind of how the things have shaken out. What is the most wild example of anti-Semitism you encountered within the clubhouse? Um, you know, the, the things in the clubhouse have always been fine. I'm a, this, this doesn't look like I'm a really big guy. Um, no one says anything to me. It's, it's not a, it's not a good move. Um, but you know, jokes are fine. Like you're friends with teammates, you're, you're, you're friends. You can make right. jokes with each other. That's right. a different dichotomy in the clubhouse. I think the more awkward things were other people coming in. I mentioned Sunday chapel. There was one, uh, time where my manager had to get involved because a chaplain wouldn't leave me alone. He was desperate to convert me. Um, like he was, he's like, Oh, why don't you come to chapel? I'm like, I'm, I'm good. I'm Jewish, but I do appreciate the offer. He's like, Oh no, you don't have to be Christian. I'm like, um, are you reading th- what, what book is that? Is that the new or old Testament? It's like new. I'm like, mm, not, not really well. <laughs> there we go. And, and he just goes like, well, Cody, it's, all, it's not about that. I'm like, I understand that, but please, for the love of God, leave me alone. I don't want to go to chapel. And then after 20 minutes, my manager had to come out and actually, but Hey, leave him alone. He's not going to chapel. The guy is Jewish. Uh, it was just, it was things like that where it's just like dude leave me alone with this like i don't it, it's it's a weird thing like people can't read the room but it's cuz they don't some of them don't understand most people do i mean it's not like it's not like 80% it's like a very small 4% occasionally pop in with a weird sentence or a weird comment or they'll say something like uh, you know it's always funny because it's a part of lexicon in any sport you know somebody's like oh man you're cheap man why'd you jew me in that and i'm just sitting there I'm like what's that and they're like, oh, it's just the same. Like, I know it is, but yeah, knock that, knock that off. Going from something that maybe not a lot of people understand to something a lot of people understand is 
uh, you know, Kevin calls it antisocial media. Those videos on antisocial media that gives us all a smile is seeing a baseball player get their dream come true and be told, hey, you're going to the big leagues, kid. Can you take us back to that moment uh, where you were where you were in a state of mind? Uh, who told you? Uh, uh, what were your first thoughts? Who was your first call? Can you take take us all through that? you know, probably never forgettable uh, memory of yours? One of the greatest moments of my life, and I think that there's a full story that does require a decent amount of context. So allow me to paint the full picture for you and we'll get mm -hmm. going. Uh, at this point, I've been playing for the San Diego Padres for seven years. I have every hitting record they have in the minor leagues, uh, their RBI record, total bases record, home run, everything that you can put down, I had. Unfortunately, during my time with the Padres, and this is no fault of their own, um, you know, I think a lot of there were a lot of fans are always saying, "What's wrong with Cody? Why doesn't he ever get a chance to get called up at the time?" But it wasn't necessarily the Padres' fault, and here's why: I was with them for seven seasons. Through that time, I had five different general managers, three of which that came in had no idea who I was each time they came in. Um, so I just kept getting pumped, pushed further down the totem pole every single time a new GM came in. So every time I started ingratiating myself to said GM, they would either leave or get fired. And then a new guy came in who didn't know me. Uh, and then I had to start all over again. And yeah. by the time I got them to like me, they quit or they got fired. And it just happened over and over again to the point where I'm in AAA. And now it's been I've been in AAA for four years and I haven't got an opportunity. And now the new GM, AJ Preller, comes in, and AJ is a very good guy and a, a very smart guy. And he just looks at it like his first, he just got there right when September college is coming up, and he decides he's not going to call me up, but he doesn't know me. He's brand new to the job. So it's not really on him to call me up at that exact moment. He had to take a look at the whole organization and look at the bigger picture. He can't just take care of one AAA guy. And I understand that. Um, the next year, he started to like me a little bit more and obviously they gave me the opportunity, but it took seven full years living in my car, uh, every possible thing. And there were a lot of very, very dark times during that time. Now that you have the full set of things taking place. Oh, I've also asked for my release at this point, four separate times, uh, all of which have been horrifically said no, okay. uh, to which I'm like, please let me go so I can maybe go make money. And they're like, <laughs> no, no. Um, <laughs> we're not having that, <laughs> but it was, uh, I actually, I, by the way, I can't stress this enough. I love the Padres. They're great people. Um, the, but it, it was just bad timing for me with the pods that whole time. So it goes on. I, I become a, I'm a triple A all-star in 2015. It's my last year of my contract. We go to playoffs. And the last month of the season, my major, my triple A manager goes up to the big leagues. And I'm still in triple A. And he's managing in, in the big leagues, Pat Murphy. And I have a new manager who I'm not getting along with very well. And he stops playing me almost entirely. And I was like, what the hell's going on? Then finally, the playoffs end. And the last game ends, and I'm sitting there I'm in my locker. I'm like, well, it's the last game as a Padre. Uh, if I'm not called up tonight, I guess uh, I guess I'm done, I guess. Because <laughs> it's the end of my contract. It's been seven years. At this point, I'm 28 years old. Uh, I know what perception is. You know, everyone's going to look at my numbers. Like, well, every number here says he should be a big leaguer, but he's not in the big leagues. There must be something wrong with this guy. I'm like, this is going to be a nightmarish offseason. I, I think I'm done. So I'm like sitting there going through all these thoughts in my head after this game, playoff game that I just lost to the Astros AAA affiliate, which was the Fresno Grizzlies, which next year that team was exactly the Houston Astros. Um, <laughs> but they were, um, you know, it was a tough, tough night. And, you know, realism, packing up my bags and 
grab my stuff and I'm going to take my flight in the morning. I called my girlfriend at the time and it was a tearful phone call. And I'm just saying, I think I'm going to retire. Um, 28 years old, seven years, no opportunities. It's just, um, I quite frankly, I was broke, like beyond broke. And it was almost to the point where it was like kind of breaking my back a little bit. I couldn't afford to play baseball anymore. Yeah. So I get in my flight the next morning and I fly home and it, it was, you know, it was okay. I was starting to feel a little bit better about it. I was, I mean, maybe I'll, you know, the off season's going to hit, I'll be a free agent in, in 20 day, 25 days. Maybe I'll get some calls. We'll feel it out and I'll figure it out. And, but I was still very, very not thrilled. Quick little addition to the story of my background. I was trained by a guy named Reggie Smith. Reggie Smith was, you know, 20 year big leaguer played for the Red Sox. He's my mentor. Reggie was a guy who I was very lucky to grow up hitting with. Um, I learned just about everything from this guy. And he was, at the time, the Dodgers hitting coach. And Reggie seems to know everything. Even though he's been out of the professional game for a while, it was very cool last year. Uh, Dave Roberts brought him on as the, uh, as the hitting coach for the All-Star game, which was pretty sweet. But, you know, Reggie and I, at this point, hadn't really talked much. Um, so I land, back to the story, I land in LAX uh, with my bags and you know, before I left the night before, I'd sent a text to a guy named Sam Ganey. Sam Ganey was the head of player development for the San Diego Padres. And Sam was a very nice guy. It was his first year. And he's like 29 years old at the time. We're the same age. And we kind of bonded on that because he he dug me because he's like, he's taking, checking all my stats. And just like, it's like, man, you've really kind of worn it, huh? I'm like, yeah, a little bit. A little bit. <laughs> and But he was young and he was kind of new to the, he, he was kind of, in over his head a little bit at first and, you know, had to grow into the role, which he did very well, obviously. And, um, but I remember I sent Sam a text that night after the game. And after I realized they're not calling me up, I just sent him a text. I'm like, Hey Sam, just want to say thank you for everything in the year. You're going to be amazing at this job. Um, and I look forward to everything you guys do with the Padres. Take care. It was just a nice text. And then I got a phone call from him when I landed at the baggage claim. I was just sitting here a baggage claim waiting for my bag, still, still definitely feeling it. Mm-hmm. But, uh, see Sam, like I figure he's calling me for the thank you for the tax. I'm like, Hey Sam, what's going on? He's like, Cody, did you land at LAX? I said, yes, I did. He's like, good man. I just want you to know like how much you actually meant to this organization over these years. Uh, I know I've only been here for a year. Um, and your text last night to me meant the world to me. I'm like, Oh dude, thanks. So much. I, I meant it. It's, it was a very, very lovely conversation. And then he just takes a pause. He's like, well, it really upsets me that I'm the one calling you because there are people in this organization you've known for nearly a decade that you're very close with. But, you know, I feel like you and I have become close enough. I really wanted to call you and and, uh, tell you you need to get on a flight and the team needs you in Arizona. You're going to be there tonight. I just said, hmm. He's like, you're going to the big leagues, Cody. And I just stopped. And I, I don't know what happened. I just had a moment where I just everything stopped. Like everything just froze and I paused and I had a moment of realization because if you know my background, you know for a fact that I mess with people very, very harshly. Um, <laughs> I convince players things about their, their selves that they don't realize or I convince a player that uh, his teammate is deaf for a month and we have fun with that or I lock a player in the bathroom for about six hours or I'll, oh or I'll fill up a guy or I'll take a guy's locker and put it in the middle of the field. Perfectly <laughs> set up the way he said. I did that twice. You have no idea how difficult that was. Uh, t- removing a locker from the locker room and taking and putting it on the pitcher's mound took me hours, but it was worth it. <laughs> worth it. So I took a pause and I just said, "Sam, uh, listen, I have 
I am beyond thrilled if this is true, but you know that I do a lot of pranks. And if this is somebody getting back at me, uh-huh. one, brilliant, top notch. Two, I am not in a good mental state. This one might push me over the edge. So please tell me if this is true or not. <laughs> he just <laughs> started laughing. He's like, it's 100% true, Cody. You're going to the big leagues. And I just kind of paused for a sec and I thanked them. Like, I don't, I don't even remember. I don't remember the conversation after that. Truthfully, I think I just probably went, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Oh my God, oh my God, thank you, thank you. I got to call. What, like, what do I do? I, uh, probably something like that. Yeah. Um, and then I, uh, my girlfriend was picking me up, my wife, my wife now, uh, and she was heartbroken the night before for me. Um, you know, she was crying on the phone with me. She was just, it was a tough night. And she picks me up and I didn't know what to do. After I, right at, the moment I hung up the phone on Sam, with Sam Ganey, my phone pings and it's Reggie Smith. And just literally hung up the phone, ping, look at my phone. Reggie Smith says, congratulations. It's been a long time coming. You belong in the big leagues. And I just stopped and I said, I literally just found out 10 seconds ago. How do you know this? And he's like, no one knows. And he just said, he just responds, I know everything. <laughs> uh, my girlfriend picks me up at the time. Well, my wife picks me up. And uh, she just gets out of the bag. She, she gets out of the car, helps me with my bags. And she looks like she's getting ready to handle me with serious kid gloves. And I just said, I just looked at her and I'm not smiling because I don't, I'm in shock. And I just said, um, I'm going to the big leagues. And she said, what? I said, I'm going to the big leagues. I just got off the phone and she just started crying. She just like jumped. It was like a movie scene, jumped up on her. It was amazing. Um, I had some time. So I was able to go to Santa Monica from LAX to see my folks and uh, tell them that I'm going to the big leagues. The problem was I filmed it and I wanted to post it. My dad, they were at their pool. My dad's body looks like E.T. when he's like dying at the <laughs> lake. I just didn't feel comfortable putting that on on social medias. Um yeah. It was it was it was an amazing amazing uh, day. That that twenty four hours was one of the t- coolest twenty four hours I could have ever had. Um, I'll forever be in debt to the San Diego Padres for it. Like no matter what, I will root for the Padres for the rest of my life. No matter what, uh, they're they're the organization that drafted me. They're the organization that gave me. You know, it wasn't much of an opportunity. Hell, I got one start. Didn't really do anything. Um, but I got to go to the big leagues. I got to say that I'm a big leaguer. I got to, you know, be one of 20,000 ever. And, uh, I'm really proud of that. Uh, you know, I would have loved a better opportunity. I would have loved more, more shots up there. I would have loved more at bats. I would have loved to start it more than one game. Um, cause I've, I've never been at that point. I'd never been a spot time player. I've never pinch hit in my life. I had no idea what right. I was doing. I, I was a guy that plays, gets forwards bats every day. And that's how you play. That wasn't the role that I was up there. I would show up and they were like, you're not, you know, I wouldn't play for two weeks. Then I'd have it a bat against Madison Bumgarner while he's throwing a no hitter in the eighth inning. Um, and that is actually true. I, he got, I got Pat Murphy calls me. Hey, Jack, what was the last the bat you had? I said a week and a half ago. He's like, well, Bumgarner's got a no hitter in the eighth. Good luck. Pats me on the shoulder. I'm like, all right. I haven't picked up a bat in a while. And it was the, that, by the way, that's one of the bats in my entire life that I, I remember every single pitch drives me nuts that at that. Um, but yeah, it was just, uh, it was, uh, not the opportunity I wanted, but the experience, um, and you know, you're kind of put into a very elite club with that. You know, people talk about hall of famers being an elite club. That's an elite of an elite of an elite of an elite of an elite, uh, getting to the ba- major leagues is an extraordinarily small club. And I'm, I'm very proud that I got that opportunity, especially nowadays and how impossible it is to get to the major leagues now. 
All right, that's part one of our conversation with Cody Decker. Uh, We'll run part two, part three, and part four on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday this week on the podcast. So stay tuned for that. Hope you all have a wonderful day. Stay safe, and we will talk to you tomorrow.